Thank you for choosing the podcast of East Haven Baptist Church in Brookhaven, Mississippi. For more information on the ministries of East Haven and to access videos and sermon notes from our services, visit www.easthaven.net. The Bible is clear. We serve a king. And, and so often we, we forget that. Whenever we look, in, uh, we look at society, we look at the way that we go about things, we look at the way that nations go about things, we look at the way that governments operate, so many times we forget the reality <clears throat> that we serve a king. We serve a king and that king is Jesus. And so many times if we, if we lose track of that reality, we may begin to look at the kingdom of God through a lens that is distorted by our ideas of what government should be like. Now, I'm not saying anything negative about the democratic process. It's a wonderful thing. But God's kingdom, most assuredly, does not operate by democratic principles. God's kingdom operates as a monarchy. And God is the ruler over all things. God does not stop to take public opinion polls. God is not subject to some sort of filibuster. God is not subject or worried about election results. That's not how God operates. God is the sovereign king of the universe. It belongs to him, and he is the ruler. He rules over it. He reigns over it. It is his rule and his reign. Now, some people say, what's the difference in those two things? The idea of God's rule, it emphasizes his authority and his standard over all creation. His reign is the time frame in which he rules. And so we look at God's rule and reign and we can say that according to God's word, God is the absolute ruler over everything and his reign is a reign that goes on forever. So with that in mind, we are going to spend a few weeks looking at the way of the kingdom, the way of the kingdom of God. And in the past, we've done a, a few sermons here and there about God being our king, about Jesus ruling on the throne. But what I would like for us to do over the next few weeks is look specifically at Matthew chapter 13. And we're going to be there in a little bit today. We're not going to go in depth today. Today's more of an overview. But over the next few weeks, we'll spend some time in Matthew chapter 13. And in Matthew 13, there are a series of parables referred to as the kingdom parables. And in those parables, Jesus shows us how the kingdom of God operates. What are the standards of the kingdom of God? Now, that's not an exhaustive uh, list because there are other kingdom parables found elsewhere in the Bible. But in the book of Matthew, in this one chapter, Jesus gives a series of parables, and these parables show us how the kingdom of God operates. And so if we're going to live as subjects in the kingdom of God, if we're followers of Christ, we are his royal subjects, his royal family, then we need to know exactly how does that kingdom operate. Now, before we go any further, let me give a little point of clarification. <clears throat> As we're going to go through the book of, or as we're going to go through this chapter in Matthew 13, we're going to find that the kingdom of heaven, that phrase is mentioned multiple times. And other places in the Bible, you find the phrase kingdom of God mentioned. Now, there's been a lot of theological ink spilt over the many, many years since the pinning of those, 
those or the pinning of those gospels. And the, a lot of that theological ink is about what's the difference in the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. And there are theologians who are far, far smarter than me who have, who have delineated all of these little detailed nuances between the two. But really and truly, when you get right down to it, uh, there, there doesn't seem to be any difference in the two. Uh, in fact, you find that Matthew uses kingdom of heaven more often than he uses kingdom of God. And most people, most commentators say the reason is that Matthew was writing to a Jewish audience. And you find the same parables and the same ideas mentioned elsewhere in the Bible, and you find it mentioned the kingdom of God, where Matthew writes kingdom of heaven. The idea is that Matthew writes kingdom of heaven so that the Jewish audience would not be offended by the use of the word God because the Jews did not consider God's name to be something to be pronounced because it was so sacred. And so Matthew puts in kingdom of heaven. I think it's the easiest way to understand that instead of trying to draw some elaborate parallel or elaborate contrast rather between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven because they're used interchangeably. But whether you want to use the phrase kingdom of God or whether you want to use the phrase kingdom of heaven, we are as followers of Christ within that kingdom. And I want us to look today before next week, we'll get into the parables and start looking at them individually. And by the way, a parable, if you want a, a good, simple working definition, because parable can be, that can, that can be a very wide uh, range of, of topics covered by that word. We can say that it is a short illustration, a short illustration that teaches one spiritual principle or a single spiritual principle. And so we'll look more at that in a little bit, or actually next week. But today I want us to look at the setup, the idea of the kingdom. How does, what are some general concepts about how does the kingdom of God operate? How does that deal with us today? How does that affect the way that we live if we are living in the kingdom which we are? So with that in mind, I just want us to give a few points or look at a few points about what can we know about the kingdom of God. First of all, the kingdom of God is here already and yet not yet fulfilled. It's here already but not yet fulfilled. Listen to what the psalmist writes in Psalm 103. This is verse 19. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Well, that's, a, that's an accomplished task. The Lord has established. It's a done deal. So his kingdom's already in operation. We find a similar thing in Psalm 45, verse 6. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. So his rule and his reign are already in operation. His reign is forever. His rule is authoritative and complete. But then you have phrases like this we find in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven is coming. So how do we make sense of that? That the psalmist writes and says, the kingdom's already here. The kingdom's already in operation. 
And Jesus saying, repent and get ready because the kingdom is near. The kingdom is at hand. The kingdom is coming. Well, it's best understood that the kingdom is here already, but the kingdom is not yet fulfilled. Meaning God is king. God is ruling over all things. But specifically, the inauguration of Jesus as the Messiah King, that is something that is occurring here in the New Testament, and we look back on it having occurred, but everything has not been set right just yet. Even though God's ruling over all things, God has not shown his absolute authority in restoring all things just yet. It's going to happen but it hasn't been completely and totally fulfilled. Does that mean that God is any less in control? Absolutely not. God is completely and totally in control. There's nothing that God is looking at in our universe. There's nothing that God is looking at in our world. There's nothing that God is looking at in our nation. There's nothing that God looks at in our lives and says, that is completely and totally out of my control. It has slipped the grasp, my grasp. It is out of control. I, I do not know what to do with that. You don't find that. God is the sovereign king over all creation. But the restoration of everything, lining everything up under Jesus has not yet occurred, but it is occurring. So we get to be royal ambassadors that God is transforming us from the inside out to make us representatives of his kingdom to a world that is going to be ultimately one day restored to the right standard of God. What does that look like? Well, we find this in, well, let me back up one more step. Luke 19, getting ahead of myself. As they heard these things, verse 11 of Luke 19, as they heard these things, he proceeded to tell them a parable or tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. So this was the mistake that the disciples were making. The disciples believed and the people following Jesus believed, okay, the kingdom is going to happen right now. Jesus is here. He's going to kick out Rome. Everything's going to be reestablished. Everything's going to be made right right now. And Jesus says, no, the kingdom is not going to appear immediately. Everything's not going to be restored right now. Sometimes I think we get into that situation. We get into that line of thinking that we just think God is going to establish his kingdom in perfection right here, right now. Well, he's not that things aren't going to be made perfect right here, right now. We're not going to have heaven right here, right now. There is no place for a utopia right here, right now. That doesn't exist because God says that our hope is found in heaven. So just as the disciples, we can't make the mistake of believing everything's going to be made right, right now, but, every, but the day will come when everything will be made right. What does that look like? Now to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. Listen to what Paul writes. In him, <clears throat> we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. The, the plan for the fullness of time. 
The plan at exactly the right moment of time. The plan for the completion of all things is to bring everything back under the leadership, the rule, and the reign of Jesus. Now, it's not yet here, it's not yet fulfilled, but it most definitely is in operation. And so we should look for that. Even though it has not yet been completely fulfilled, we should look for God's rule and reign to be seen in our individual lives and in the lives of everyone who's operating with his kingdom. That's what we should strive for. That's what we should look for. That's what we should pray for. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed, holy, be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you ever pray that? And you say, well, yeah, I pray the Lord's Prayer. I pray that idea. Listen to what, it, what Jesus is saying that we should pray. When we recognize that God is the holy God of the universe, we should be praying, God, I want your will to be done on earth, to be done in my life, to be done in the life of my family, to be done in the life of our church, to be done in the life of our nation, just as your will is done in heaven. How is his will done in heaven? Perfectly, without question, understanding he rules over all things. That's how his will is accomplished in heaven. So whenever we pray that God's will be done, what we're saying is, God, I want your will to be done just here on earth, just as it is in heaven, which means I follow him without question, which means I am to follow him without arguing, which means I am to say, yes, Lord God, this is what your word says. And so Lord God, may it be done. I'll surrender completely and totally to it. So many times we pray this prayer. I don't think we're really thinking about what Jesus is really saying here. We're asking for his kingdom to come. We're asking for him to rule over our hearts as the king. That means, can, can we just say this? We don't get to say so. We, I don't get to argue with God about what his will is. I don't get to do a public opinion poll about what God's will is. I don't, I don't get to go around and, and, and ask all sorts of people, what do you think about, what do you, how do you think we should respond to God's will? How do you think we should respond to God's will? How do you think we should respond to God's will? No, according to God's word, we just respond to his will. It's not subject to the democratic process. God's will is just God's will. He is the king. So many times I think we, we lose track of this because we, remember we had a revolution to throw off the monarchy here in our nation. But with, in God's understanding and with God's word, we understand God is our king. That means we're his subjects. That means we're subject to his will. That means we're subject to his rule and his reign. And I don't get to do things like I want to do them or how I think they should be done. I have to surrender to the king of the universe. But his kingdom, it is an operation it is already here, but it is not yet fulfilled. Secondly, the kingdom of God is founded upon spiritual reality, not earthly standards. It's founded upon spiritual reality. Listen to what happens in John chapter 18. 
Jesus <clears throat> is brought before Pilate, and Pilate is questioning him. Pilate really can't find anything wrong with Jesus. Everybody is saying, Jesus did this, Jesus said this. So Pilate is questioning him to see if, if the penalty warrants what Jesus did, or at least what they say Jesus did. And in John chapter 18, verse 33, it says, So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? <laughs> Here's Jesus. Okay, so why are you asking? Are you asking because you want to know? Or are you asking because somebody put you up to it? That's what I want to know. Look at what, what Pilate responds. Pilate answered him, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Jesus gives Pilate a little glimpse of how the kingdom operates and letting him know that, just as we mentioned, that the kingdom of God is founded upon spiritual reality, not earthly standards. Jesus is saying, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom does not arise by earthly means. My kingdom is not upheld by earthly standards. My kingdom does not follow earthly rules. My kingdom is established upon a heavenly reality. It doesn't matter what a nation says. It doesn't matter what a law says. It doesn't matter what all the people of the universe, what they say, what matters is my heavenly reality. That's what matters. And that's how his kingdom operates. And again, so many times we forget this. We think the kingdom of God operates by, by business principles or the kingdom of God is going to operate by economic principles or the kingdom of God is going to operate by these social principles or this kingdom of God are going to, is going to operate by these patriotic principles or the kingdom, kingdom of God is going to operate by these, these principles of social media or whatever else. This is how the kingdom is going to operate. No, 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 no. The kingdom of God operates by heavenly principles. Everything else takes backseat to that. Everything. It doesn't matter what we think. It doesn't matter what any of these things say. It doesn't matter what the nations say. It doesn't matter what politicians say. It doesn't even, I mean, it doesn't even matter what you hear different pastors say unless it is founded upon the word of God. It doesn't matter because the kingdom operates by heavenly principles, not by earthly standards. I can't tell you the number of times that I've encountered people and I've dealt with it in my own life that want to take earthly standards and impose them as the template over the kingdom of God. And they say the kingdom of God has to operate like this because that's the way we operate in my family. Or the kingdom of God must operate like this because that's the way I operate my business. Or the kingdom of God must operate like this because that's the way America operates. Can I tell you what that is? If you do that, that is utter and complete idolatry. And it has no place in the kingdom of God. If you put anything above the kingdom of God, you are an idolater. And I say that because I've been there. 
I have taken my own standards sometimes and overlaid them as a template over the kingdom of God and acted as though God has to buck up and line up with my standards. Can I just tell you what that is? Utter and complete idolatry. That's what it is. Because the kingdom of God does not operate by earthly standards. The kingdom of God operates by heavenly principles. And if you miss that, we'll be just like Pilate, sitting there saying, are you really a king? Are you really a king? We operate from the same place. We have to understand there's, there are heavenly principles in play. And God, those other things, some of them may be really good, but they're not God. They have to be based on God's word. It has to be based on God's truth. That's the only way that we can operate in God's kingdom. Listen to Luke chapter 17. <clears throat> this is verse 20. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Jesus is saying, this kingdom of God, it's not operating like they think it's going to operate. It's not coming to, sit, to kick out Rome. It's not coming to tear down the whole idea of the Greek mindset that existed in this day. Y'all got to listen fast. I ain't got much voice left. <clears throat> I know you said, well, if you weren't yelling so much, it wouldn't. Yeah, yeah, okay. So the kingdom of God is not operating to establish all of those or to rule out all of the establishment that was already in operation. Jesus is saying, look, the kingdom of God isn't coming to kick out Rome right now. The kingdom of God isn't going to be some sweeping political movement right now. No, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. The kingdom of God has been inaugurated by Jesus in the hearts of those who believe. And the kingdom of God is operating and is, will begin to spread and is going to be functioning by kingdom principles. It's going to be functioning by heavenly principles, by heavenly standards. And it's not going to spread in the way that you think it's going to spread. It's going to spread subtly, we're going to find as we look at the parables. It's going to spread surely, but it's going to spread very subtly. It's going to spread certainly, and it's going to spread thoroughly, but it's going to be a gradual process by which people's hearts are transformed as they, as they come to a faith in Christ through the gospel message. The kingdom of God operates by heavenly principles. Can I just ask you, where in your life have you been operating more on earthly standards or by earthly standards than by heavenly principles? Where is it that you may say, but these standards, these, these earthly things, they're very good, but are they God? Have you placed them ahead of God? I'm not saying that we shouldn't have rules and structure in our family. I'm not saying that we, we shouldn't be patriotic. I'm not saying that we shouldn't have good business practices. We should have all those things. Can we just understand the kingdom of God is not dependent upon those things? The kingdom of God, in fact, if you look back through history, the kingdom of God operated quite well for thousands of years under evil totalitarian regimes. The kingdom of God operated quite well with business practices and with a culture that was bent on destroying the economic viability of those who believe and follow Christ. The kingdom of God operated quite well and is still operating quite well in many nations where people are being persecuted and killed for their faith. 
So, so let's, not, let's not think that the kingdom of God is dependent upon these earthly standards. It's good that we have that freedom. But can I just tell you, those freedoms are not guaranteed in God's word. Now we can say, well, in our constitution, it says that God gave us those rights. Can I just tell you, God's word doesn't say that we have freedom. We have freedom in Christ, but God's word does not ensure that we have freedom. No, uh-uh. it's much preferred, but it's not guaranteed in God's word. You look at how many times God's people were encountering people coming to oppress them. You look, at, you look at the oppression that you find among people in God's word. You look at the slavery that you find in God's word. You look at the pain and the, and the difficulty that you find in God's word. It doesn't mean that we're exempt or free from suffering or pain. It doesn't even mean that we're, we're guaranteed freedom. That's not what it guarantees. But it does guarantee that we can operate by kingdom principles, which far outstrip any earthly idea. Listen to what Paul writes in the book of Philippians. Philippians 3.20, but our citizenship is from heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't need to forget that our citizenship is in heaven. It's not here. Now, granted, we're dual citizens, but our ultimate citizenship is in heaven. We should live as heavenly citizens. We should live with our eyes fixed upon eternity because that, that is where we are going to be forever. Nations will rise and fall. At the end of days, that we're just going to be one nation who, who are there before God. We're going to be his holy people, those who are followers of Christ. So we find that we should be fixing our eyes upon that heavenly reality and living according to that. Final thing, kingdom of God is here already. It's not yet fulfilled. It's founded upon spiritual reality, not earthly standards. And finally, it's revealed to those who will receive it, but hidden from those who will reject it. This is one of the hard truths of God's word. That the kingdom of God, though to followers of Christ, it may seem obvious, but to those who will reject it, it's hidden. This is why we find that Jesus speaks in parables. Now, follow me here. This is in Matthew 13. This is in the chapter we'll be looking at in the weeks to come. Matthew 13, verse 34. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to, nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. So Jesus speaks in parables. Jesus teaches in parables. We find in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, Paul writes, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So you find that in the kingdom, there operates this principle. And the principle is that the kingdom is very obvious to some people and the kingdom is hidden from other people. And you find that this is the reason Jesus spoke in parables. I know so many times we've heard the, we've heard the, the idea, Jesus spoke in parables so that it would be clear to people. Well, that's half of it. Jesus spoke in parables so it'd be clear to those who had spiritual understanding. Jesus also spoke in parables to conceal that 
from those who will reject God's word. I know that's hard, but this is what Jesus says in Matthew 13. Look at Matthew 13, verse 10. Then the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them, it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear. With their ears, with their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see, and hear what you hear and did not hear it. So here's Jesus telling the disciples, I'm speaking in parables. Because if you have spiritual understanding, you get it. But if you don't and you reject it, even that understanding will be taken away from you. So when Jesus taught a parable, taught in parables, some people were saying, oh, yes. And others were saying, that's a neat story, but I don't understand what's the point. Because the idea of the kingdom is that to some people it's completely and totally obvious, and some it's not. You find this in the New Testament a little later on, whenever they're talking about the crucifixion of Jesus. And the statement is made, if you had known, you wouldn't have crucified the king. You wouldn't have crucified the king if you had known. But they didn't know, because they couldn't perceive the kingdom, because the kingdom is perceived by spiritual eyes, by spiritual ears, with a spiritual heart, with spiritual understanding, not by the understanding that comes by the way of the world. And so we find that Jesus spoke in parables and he made known the secrets of his kingdom to those who would receive it. But for those who reject it, they cannot receive the things of the kingdom because they don't have spiritual ears to hear. Have you ever talked to someone and you just, you just wonder, why are they just not getting it? Why are they just not understanding the gospel? Maybe if I just say it louder, maybe if I just explain it more, maybe if I just hound them more, there's a, there's a lack of spiritual understanding. And God has to do a work through his spirit and his word. And so, so many times we, we get frustrated and so many times we don't understand. Why do people just not see the obvious? The idea, though, according to Jesus, is the one who has not even what he has will be taken away. Whenever we reject the word of God and we reject his truth and we back away from his truth, even that degree of understanding we might have, according to Jesus, gets taken and so we find people who have rejected the truth of the word of God. They've rejected the testimony of God. They've rejected who God says he is, who God has clearly shown himself to be in creation. And they go, no. And they grow dark in their understanding. That's what Romans 1 talks about. Their understanding is darkened. Their, their, their understanding, their view of the world, their view of reality becomes darkened. 
Do you see that today? I'm sorry, when I click on the news and I hear someone say, oh, science says that a man can give birth, I think that's Romans 1. That's some darkened understanding, okay? Whenever people are saying that, you know, oh, you can choose your own pronouns, can I just tell you? That's darkened understanding. Whenever, whenever people start saying, oh, well, we are just basically meat machines. We just were created out of nothingness, right? It was a series of accidents that, that led to us from some primordial ooze. And then we, you know, we evolved. We, we, you know, one of our early ancestors grew lungs instead of gills and managed to drag themselves out of the primordial soup onto a beach somewhere gasping for air. And then suddenly we get to the place we are today. Uh, you know, it's that whole, you know, from, from the goo to you by way of the zoo. That's, that's darkened understanding. That's, that takes a mental leap. Can I just be honest with you? That I ain't, I ain't willing to make. Because I don't have that degree of faith, all right? To understand that a creator God created the universe and created male and female, that's binary, that's two, two genders, right? He creates male and female, he created that, he set that, we don't get to decide, and he rules over all creation with his rule and his reign. That is a biblical understanding of who God is, not we make up our own truth, we make up our own this, we make up our own that. That's not reality. Can I just say that again? That's not reality. I don't care how many TikTokers, I don't care how many Facebookers, I don't care how many people in the media, I don't care how many people in politics say otherwise, that's not reality. Reality is given to us here. And if we depart from this, then you have to be expecting that your understanding will be darkened. And according to God's word, the little that you already have will be taken from you. This is what God's word says. This isn't, this isn't well, Pastor Dustin went on a rant. No, this is what God's word says. We adhere to his kingdom rules because it's his kingdom we are his subjects. We don't get to saunter up to his throne and say, God, I have some suggestions about how things should be altered in your kingdom for my comfort and my benefit. We don't get that. He's the king, not us. He's the sovereign Lord, not us. He's the one who rules over all things, not us. And as such, we must surrender to him. We surrender to his kingdom. 1 Corinthians 1.21 For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, that is the world did not know God through earthly wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. To someone who has darkened understanding, to someone who follows the way of the world, the way of the gospel is folly, it's foolishness. It is utter ridiculousness to those who follow the way of the world. Why? Because their understanding's darkened. It is folly to those who follow the way of the world. That God himself, 
that God himself would come as a baby and live a sinless life and die a death on a cross he did not deserve so that if we place our faith in him and we trust that he made a sacrifice for our sins and asked for forgiveness and surrender our lives to him, then we will be saved. And then spiritually speaking, we will have an eternal home. We will have an eternal home in heaven with God. And one day he's going to come and establish a physical universe that he rules over. His kingdom will be made manifest in a physical way on earth and we will live and glorify him forever. That's the message of the gospel. To someone with a darkened understanding, that sounds utterly and completely foolish. It sounds completely and totally unbelievable. And can I tell you, apart from having a kingdom perspective, it is unbelievable. It doesn't make any sense unless you're operating from a kingdom perspective. This is why in Matthew, or I'm sorry, in Mark chapter 10, verse 15, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. When I was a kid, I came to Christ. I was around six years old. Some of you have heard that story. It was a summer afternoon or summer evening. I was lying on the top bunk of my, the bunk beds in our home. And I remember lying there and my mother had said many times before she would come and she would say the prayers with me. She would come and she would say, I'm going I'm to go pray with you as we, you know, you close out the day. And I remember a few weeks before my mom had told me, she said, uh, you're a big boy now. So I want you to pray to God. I want you to take time and pray to him. And then afterwards, I'll come in before I go to bed and I'll ask you if you prayed and then I'll pray over you. And I said, okay. And so one night I was laying there in my top bunk and I was praying. And I was praying, God, I was praying for these people and I was praying for my family. And then, and then I prayed, God, and, and God, I pray for those people who don't know Jesus. God, if, if you would please do a work so they could know Jesus, so they could, they could know the message. Because I, I grew up in church. And so I'm praying for sinners. And in that moment, God convicted me. Now, I didn't know all the big words. I just knew in that moment, I realized, whoa, that's me. This is me. I'm a sinner. I'm separated from God. My sin is separated from me from God. I need Christ. I panicked for a second. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? I'm a sinner. Because I knew in that moment that if I died right then, I knew I would spend an eternity separated from God in hell. I knew that. I knew that. So deeply convicted of my sin. Now I know you say, well, what can a six-year-old get into? You ever been a six-year-old? You know, six-year-olds, you know, you know, lying, anger, fighting, biting, scratching, clawing, kicking, the whole nine yards, you know. But I knew in that moment that I needed Christ. I prayed right there by myself, top bunk, Jesus to forgive me, surrender my life to Christ. I remember my mom came in and she looked at me and she said, she said, did you say your prayers? I said, yeah, I have a surprise. She said, what? I said, I asked Jesus to save me. Well, she starts crying. I thought, well, that's great. This should be a happy moment. And now I've upset my mama. I'm like, well, I'm sorry. Thought this was the point. She said, no, baby, that's the point. It is the point. I'm just happy. I'm just happy. 
How, did, I, did I come to Christ knowing all the stuff? Did I come to Christ saying like, okay, God, before, we, before I come to you, I need to be able to explain justification and sanctification, propitiation and redemption and, and reconciliation and glorification and all those, all those big $2 theological words. Do I need it? No, no. Just as Jesus said, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child should not enter it. That's how you, that's how you, sur- that's how you surrender to God, like a child. I just trust you. I, I, I'm dependent. I trust you. I don't have this. I'm going to trust you to take care of it, Jesus. I, I don't know any other way to say it. I'm just, I'm just going to trust you. I, you're mine. I want you to be, I want to be yours. I want you to be mine. I'm, I trust you. I completely surrender to you. That's the idea. John 3, 3. Jesus speaking to Nicodemus. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. We're born again. We're born from above by receiving the salvation that comes from Christ. We're made into a new creation. We come to him as a little child and we're made to him, made by him into a brand new creation. We come to him as a little child in need of a savior. And when we surrender to him, we then become a new child, a have a a person with a new birth, a child who is born into the kingdom of God as his royal subject. Have you done that? Have you been born again? Have you come to him as a little child and be born again? Have you put anything ahead of him? Have you put any of your own desires and wants and wishes, your expectations, your opinions, your preferences, have you put those above the rule and reign of God in your life? He, he offers a means of salvation through Christ and Christ alone. He's the only means. He is the king. And if we're going to be royal subjects, then we have to bow to the only one true king. No pretenders to the throne will be allowed. We can't operate as rebels to the throne either. We have to surrender to him. And for those of us who, who are followers of Christ, is there anything that would hinder you from, from following your king most fully? If there is, maybe today is the day you say, I just need to lay that that down. It may be a good thing. Maybe you just need to put it in the right place, have the right perspective of it, and put it in the right place so that it does not rule over your life. But King Jesus rules. He's already ruling. He's already reigning. I don't want to have to play catch up. I want him to have full rule and reign over my life just as he does in heaven. And I pray the same for you. That's the way of the kingdom. Let's pray. Lord God, we come before you and we're thankful that you do not leave us to run our own lives by our own standards, by our own means, by our own power. But God, you have given us your son. You have brought us into your kingdom by the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And we operate in that reality with the assured hope, the promise of our King's return and that we will be co-reigning with him. What all that looks like, I don't know. Lord God, you promise it. So, Father, I pray right now in each of our lives 
I pray that we would see you clearly as our king. No matter what else happens in the world, no matter what the other voices say, no matter what the, the best practices may be that run contrary to your word that seem to make a lot of earthly sense, Father, may we surrender to no king but you. Because you're the only one true king. Father, I know there's so many things in our lives that get in the way of us seeing you as you are. So many other things we want to put on that throne. So many times we crawl up in that throne on our own. And then fight you whenever you tell us to get, get out of your get out of your seat Father may we be found in the right place that is as loyal royal subjects taking a knee before our king the king of the universe the only one who can rightly claim that throne you may we be fully surrendered may we be fully submitted May we be found fully faithful to your call and the way of your kingdom. God, I pray for anybody here or anybody watching, anybody listening. They've never surrendered to Jesus as king. Father, I pray today would be the day they would say yes. They would cry out for forgiveness, cast themselves upon the mercy of Christ, and surrender their lives to him. And be brought into not just your royal court, but to be brought into your royal family. We're not, just, we're not just royal subjects, but as your children, we are just that. We are adopted into your royal family. You are our king, but in Christ, you are our father. And that is a reality. May we live in that reality and reflect that in the way that we live out in the world and the way we interact with each other, recognizing that for those who are in Christ, we're in the same family. So may we live like that in a way that brings you the most honor and glory and praise and have love for one another so that the whole world may believe in you and that you've sent Jesus and that Jesus is now operating within us. Lord God, whatever you need to change in us to align us with the way of your kingdom, may you by your spirit and through your word do just that. And we give ourselves to you and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.